is we have a passage from John, and we're going to talk about Peter. We just started a series, Dr. G, who wished he, he could be here today, but I believe he's in Germany somewhere doing something way important, I suppose. But anyways, he started last week with a, a series from the Apostle Paul and how God rocked Paul's work, world. And we're going to look a little bit how God rocked Peter's world today. He definitely did. Now, I want you to know this and hear this. And these words, you can insert others if you want to. But God did an extreme makeover with Peter. No doubt about it. And one thing that he proved is he is in the reclamation, redemption, restoration, renewal, regeneration, reconciliation, rebuilding, refining, and reformation business. Yes, he is. God is in that business. He is not in the business of leaving things as they are. He is in the business of taking things and making them better. God is the great maker of lemonade. He really is. He takes the lemons and he makes lemonade. And he even sometimes makes a Christy joy out of you. That could happen. So... There's four things in here we're going to look at, and you might be able to pick these out as we're going through. And actually, it starts in John 13 and ends up all the way back out in John 21. But there's four things that happen. First of all, there's a lie. Then there's a look. Then there's loss. And then there are loves. A lie, a look, loss, and love. So turn with me right there if you've got your Bible or want to just flip into that page to John 13. And we're going to look in this passage a little bit and see what happens. Jesus now performs for them something, his disciples, right prior to his crucifixion. A proof, an evidence that he loves them desperately. It says right here, start with me in verse 5. He poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter. So here we go. We engage Peter in this process. And he said to him, Peter, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Why would that be a big problem? The problem is because only the lowest slaves and servants in the family or in the context would come and wash feet. And here was Jesus, the rabbi, the leader, who is now going to step up and wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says to him, what I do now, you do not realize, but you'll understand later. And Peter said, you will never wash my feet, Lord. That's a pretty big deal. Pretty definitive. Thanks a bunch, Lord, but not interested in the feet washing from you. And, P and so the Lord says to him, well, I don't know. I don't know what I can do for you, but if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So that's a strong phrase where it's like, Peter, are you in or are you out? And so now Peter says, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head and wash the whole room and the whole bathroom and wash everything else out here. Do whatever you have to do, Lord, because I do want to be part with you. And I'm sure that something was brewing in here inside of Peter. And so Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, and you are clean, but not all of you. And then he proceeds to tell them, One of you is going to step in here and betray me. That is going to happen. 
Now, in this process, I'm wondering, what is happening exactly here? Well, you know, Peter's trying to make a case for himself. He really is. Peter's trying to say, Lord, I'm in. You can count on me. If you look a little bit later there in that passage, turn uh, with you've got your Bible there, or if you just want to look down on that page, look down to verse 33. Jesus says, you'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. Verse 36, Peter says, where are you going, Lord, and why can't I follow you now? What's the problem with that? Now, if you think Peter is just trying to make a point about geographical position, that's not it at all. Peter is trying to emphasize, hey, Lord... I've been following you for all these years. I'm kind of the head guy here, the big cheese. And, you know, I'll go wherever you want to go. I will go where you want to go. Why can't I follow you? I will listen to this words. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, will you really? I promise you, Peter, tonight, that before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now, you've heard this before, of course. This is not your first time to hear that passage. But the question is, what was going on? Here's the question I would like you to ask yourself about Peter. What was he intending? What was happening in his heart? Now, a lot of times, of course, men don't understand the intent. You understand that. This is a man talking, and he may not really even understand his own intent. Sometimes we can't interpret things, whether they come out of our mouth or somewhere else. I got an email this week from a friend that said he uh, got home, walked up to the refrigerator. There was a note pinned on there from his wife, and the wife's note says, It's not working. I can't take it anymore. I've gone to stay at my friend's house. So my friend opened the fridge. The light was still on. The beer was cold. He said, I don't have any idea what she's talking about. What's the problem? I mean, sometimes men are thick. We are. And I bet there's sometimes that women we don't know either. I promise you this, though. In the intent of this, Peter wanted to give his life. Peter wanted to be that guy. And ladies and gentlemen, I promise you, if you are somewhere on this journey as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope you have at least had moments, glimpses, where you wanted to say, Lord, I would lay down my life for you. The intent. The question is, what's in the background? And of course, we know a lot about Peter. We know a lot about His pride, we know a lot about what was actually going on in his heart, and God was going to get about the business. So the first thing is the lie. Now you say, well, that's an awful strong response to that. I don't think so. The lie is just simply saying anything that isn't going to be the truth or is not the truth. And within a matter of a couple of minutes, things are going to get rough, and Peter is going to deny. I'm not going to read through that passage, but you know that it says there in in chapter 18 and in other places in the Bible that Peter three times was asked very specifically, aren't you one of the disciples? And he said no right after, within minutes of making that promise to the Lord. Within minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, you may be there too. Where you said, I would love to be. I want to be. I, I seriously am committed. And then something happens and, it, and it, the wheels come off the cart. 
Now, if we left it there, that would be pretty tragic, wouldn't it? And in fact, the truth is, it's an opportunity for us to talk a minute or two about sin. Oh man, I just said the word, didn't I? It's the S word, sin. We're not supposed to use that word. That makes people feel bad. You know what? Sin is real. Sin is a, a pretty simple concept. You study it out, there's some things about sin that maybe we don't completely understand. One is, sin is just about missing the mark of perfection. Okay, for the same people who could find a cloud in the sky a little bit ago, how many of you would say, I am perfect in every way, never made a mistake? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. What do any of us then not sin? Of course not. We all have experienced and done and been in the place where Peter is right here. We said something and then didn't follow through on it. And that's sin. Now, I just want to point out a couple of quick pieces on sin, though. First of all, we have a really bad perception, a mistaken belief that all sins are equal. They are not. They are all equal in that they miss the mark of perfection. But there's a couple of things to consider, and one of them happens in here. One thing that you can consider is this. What's the breadth of the impact of what just happened? If I sin, and it's something that happens in my mind in one place, and it's pretty isolated, that's a pretty small breadth of impact. If I say or do an activity that affects people, and sometimes millions of people, the potential... Peter had no idea that this was going to be recorded for all of history. Do you realize that when he said it? Peter didn't stop and think, hey, that'll be in the Bible someday. The breadth of impact is significant on the sin. The activity, the behavior, the attitude, the thought. And also, the whether this is an incident or a habit... This is going on, and it happens often. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've read Peter's story prior to this, you know this was the regular deal for Peter. He would say something out of his mouth and then go, Oh, brother. Or others around him would go, Oh, brother. There goes Peter popping his mouth again. This was a habit for Peter. It's something that we should consider in here because is this a lie? You bet it is. It's a lie. And there's going to be impact from it. Now, the second thing, remember, God is in the reclamation, redemption, restoration, refining, regeneration, reconciliation, rebuilding, and reformation business. That's His business. Thankfully, Jesus does not leave it there. But we got to progress down a little bit here. First of all, they go in through the, the arrest process, and Jesus is hauled off, and they're in, a, in the place where he's being interviewed by Caiaphas and by others. And Jesus looks at Peter. Luke tells us, after Peter has already denied him, Jesus makes eye contact across the room with Peter and looks at him, and Peter runs out. The look. Guys, how many of you have gotten the look from your wife? Yeah, okay, right? How many of you kids have gotten it from dad, especially sitting in church, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Thanks for being honest about that. We've gotten the look. Now, let me ask you this. What was in the look from Jesus? What was the look? Was it disdain? 
Was it hatred? Was it a sense of abject disappointment to the point of you failure? Was there rejection? Some have even gone to say that the look from the Lord was so strong that it was like, Peter, I don't care if I ever talk to you again. I would see no evidence in the story of Jesus that would say that. Jesus looked at Peter. It was thorough, but it was one of, Peter, you and I both know what just happened here. You and I both know. And you and I both know really what is at stake here. You and I both really know. Because what was going on back in that discussion, back in the room, when Jesus was washing their feet, what was really going on was Peter was being proud. He was being full of himself. And he wanted to show off. And the Lord knew it. Now, the second thing that happens is, or the third thing, excuse me, that happens this is this. There's a loss. Immediately after the Lord looks at Peter, that Luke mentions, then the others also mention that Peter ran out and wept bitterly. John doesn't say that, but the other three do. They say that, that Peter ran from that place. Now, can you imagine? Haven't you been here before? Haven't you been to the place where you have seriously let someone down that you had no intent to let them down? That was not your desire or your design. You didn't stand there ahead of time going, huh, how can I make life miserable for this person? No, but you let them down. This, ladies and gentlemen, can lead to depression. It can lead to all kinds of serious, serious issues. But I want you to know something. God is in the reclamation, redemption, restoration, refining, regeneration, reconciliation, rebuilding, and reformation business. And Peter didn't stay in that dark spot. Did he feel it intensely? You bet he did. Was that worthy of the circumstance? Absolutely. He had full on not only abandoned and walked away from Jesus during the rest, but then when he was asked about it during the arrest or just post that, he was denying as if he'd never heard him or seen him. Was the, was the pain intense? You bet. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're there right now, if you're there in that pain, Maybe you had a failure that you didn't anticipate or you didn't even want to happen. Of course, something that's gone on, a broken relationship, some other kind of scenario where you're in pain, you do not have to stay there. It is not God's design for you to sit in there and to feel that forever. The enemy of your souls would love for you to stay there for 30 years. How many people have you encountered that are still mad at their sister, haven't spoken to her for 26 years? And you're like, well, what happened 26 years ago? Oh, I don't even remember. Doesn't matter. I'm still mad at her, doggone it. Or I still am hurt by her because she betrayed me. She hurt me. She damaged me. He did this. He did that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're there, you're there because you're staying there. God is not in the business of leaving you there. He is not in that business. So we had the lie. We have a look 
There's loss, definitely. And now I want to spend a few more minutes on the loves, which is the last part of this. Look in your paper there, or open your Bible then to John 21. We're going to read through this part of this passage. i got to get over to John 21. Here we go. So, in this passage, Jesus comes back. And He is raised from the dead. And He's had a couple of appearances already. And the guys are together. Peter's with Thomas, who is often given a very short end of the stick, by the way. And Thomas was actually a pretty solid guy, if you study him out. Nathaniel's with him. James and John are with him. You'll find out that later in the story, Peter and John become very hooked at the hip. And maybe this is part of the process, this last chapter in John. But anyways, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, that wasn't like, hey, let's put the fly gear on, right? That was not that simple. Peter says, guys, we're going out. Was this a commitment to go back to his way of life? Possibly, it doesn't say. Was this a sense of, I don't care about the Lord or anything that we've learned over these last several years? Seems unlikely. But maybe it was just as simple as, guys, we need some food, so let's go fishing. And so he says, let's go get some fish. While they're out there, of course, they throw the nets. They can't catch any fish. The Lord comes back in the morning. And as he walks up on the shore, he says, hey, guys, pitch the net on the other side of the boat. Like, that's a big difference. They pitch it over on the other side of the boat. 153 fish show up. Why 153? Who knows? But it's 153 big fish. And they realize there's something different about this guy on the shore, and it's the Lord. And Peter jumps in and swims in. Now, is this the the actions, the activities of a guy who doesn't care? I doubt it. Doesn't add up. My guess is this is a guy who is thrilled to see the Lord. So he walks up onto the shore, and Jesus says, come on, have breakfast. And so he's got fish there, and there's no mention of any conversation. This may have been the most awkward breakfast in the history of the world. You know the awkward moments. Those uh, this happens to me where I like try to say something funny and then you all just sit there, nothing happens, and then I keep talking for some reason, trying to be funny, and it just gets more and more awkward. You know, it's kind of like uh, walking into the room, forgetting why you're there, and it's just an awkward. It had to have been an incredibly awkward breakfast, but afterwards Jesus takes Peter through a process. And he desperately, I couldn't possibly say this to you enough. He desperately wants to take you through this process. Desperately. I couldn't tell you that enough. If you're in pain, if you're hurting, if you've been rejected, if you have rejected, you've been betrayed, you have betrayed, he wants to walk you through this. This is an example for us. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, he addresses him as if he was never his disciple at all. This is the old name. And he says, do you love me more than these? Probably more than these other disciples. Do you love me more than they do? Because you remember back in the beginning when Peter was trying to say, hey, Lord, I'll die for you. Da-da-da-da, I'm Peter. Right? Now he asks him, Hey, Peter, do you really think you love me more than these guys love me? 
Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, you probably have heard this. In the Greek, there's some variation in these words that are love. And Jesus asks, do you, agape, do you love me to the point of giving away your life sacrificially? Now, some have wondered whether there's any difference in these loves, but there's a pattern in here that John put in here for some kind of a purpose using these different words. And he says, do you love me uh, sacrificially? And Peter uses phileo. He says, Lord, I am really, really liking you. I am compassionate about you. I am passionate for you. But it's a different word. And Jesus says, well, tend my lambs. We're going to come back to that. A second time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me, agape? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, phileo. And Jesus says, shepherd my sheep. This is the second time. And of course, Peter had denied Christ three times. So he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Jesus changes the verb to phileo. And it says that Peter was grieved because he had asked him a third time. Why? The chances are very good Peter was grieved because the Lord had changed the context of what he was asking. He had downgraded. And Peter said, you know, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. And after a little more interaction down in verse 19, he finally says to him the first phrase that he ever said to him all the way back to the beginning, Peter, follow me. Follow me. Now, there's a lot in this passage that we couldn't possibly get at today. But there's some things going on. First of all, forgiveness here is an unstated given. Jesus doesn't take him excruciatingly back through all of the details of the incidents. And then what did you say, Peter? And then what did you mean by that? And then why didn't you say this about me? He says, none of that. He gets at the root of what is going on. Peter, follow me. Come, follow me. Be one of my teledim, one of my rabbinical followers. Give your life to come and follow me. The verbs that he uses, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, take care of them, shepherd them, and follow are all imperative verbs. They're the only verbs like that in this whole passage where Jesus says, here's your command, Peter. I want you to just follow me. Just come back and follow me. Take care of my sheep. Jesus bears with Peter. I want to read this quote to you. We make it easy on ourselves with regard to forgiveness. We deaden ourselves and believe that if we don't harbor any bad thoughts against people, then we have forgiven them. And yet we completely overlook the fact that we have no good thoughts about them. We don't consider bearing them like love bears all things. We don't bear people who have bothered us at all. We walk beside them. We get used to their silence. But we don't take them seriously or consider their opinions valid on any level. Forgiveness is precisely a question of bearing them in all respects. In their difficult and unpleasant aspects. And in their error against me or others. 
It is liberation while being with our neighbor. And here we are freed from ourselves to give up our own rights and serve the other. You know who said that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was sitting in a prison about to be executed by the Nazis. Forgiveness is a mindset that says, I bear with. I don't just quit saying bad things about that person. Forgiveness is part of the deal. And Jesus communicates restoration without condemnation. Because God is in the reclamation, redemption, restoration, refining, regeneration, reconciliation, rebuilding, and reformation business. That's his business. Jesus doesn't make life worse for Peter. Now, what did Peter walk away with? We got just a minute or two here. First of all, never read Scripture without trying to connect it to the other things that are rational to connect with. So, for instance, Peter wrote a couple of things, and in 1 Peter chapter 5, he speaks to what would be many of you here. Whether you're from this fellowship, Dillon Community, or from another fellowship somewhere else. He speaks to elders, people who are mature in their faith, people who have come along and are leaders. And he says to them, listen to some of these words that he says. Lead without lording over the others. Serve them without demanding compensation. Be examples of life by trusting God. Be serious enough to resist the enemy. Listen to this. Humble yourselves so that in His timing, He will pick you up. After you have suffered for a little while, He Himself will restore you, making you strong, firm, and established. Where do you think Peter got that idea? Peter had experienced this. If you're a leader, if you're someone who is at that level, and I'll tell you the truth, I hear... More in the way of complaints, concerns, wringing of hands, lost sleep, and fear from elders than I typically hear from other people on the, on the progression of their walk. Give up the fear. Put away the concerns. Don't dig the hole anymore. The Lord said to Peter, you're free. You're free. Follow me. Tend to my sheep. Shepherd the flock of God. Do what I told you and commanded and built in you to do. And I hope that you can leave with that because God is ultimately in the reclamation, redemption, restoration, regeneration, reconciliation, refining, rebuilding, and reformation business. That's what he does. Now, you've been wondering about my torch the whole service. How many of you have been wondering about that? Now you haven't. I know better than that. So here's what's going on with the torch. This is, of course, a beautiful, exact replica of the Olympic torch. It's just pathetic. But let me tell you the story of the Olympic torch. In 1936, Adolf Hitler who managed to kill Dietrich Bonhoeffer, even though Bonhoeffer had been part of a process trying to assassinate Hitler. Adolf Hitler heard about this process that had happened in the ancient Olympic Games. And he said, I know, propaganda. This will be awesome. We'll go, we'll light the fire in Olympia, we'll bring it here, we'll connect 
our power as the Nazis with the power of the gods of the Greeks. How awesome is that? Well, people run through the streets, they'll be all fit and young and buff and Aryan and looking awesome. That was the intent. And now some people even say, well, it's all just a commercial blah, blah, blah. It's just so that people can sell trucks and stuff. I'm going to ask you this. Have you ever met a person who carried the torch in the Olympic relay? How many of you have? My father-in-law carried the torch in Minturn for the 2002 Winter Olympics. And I want to tell you right now, reformation, reclamation, regeneration, rebuilding, the whole idea of regaining what the torch meant changed in my heart and my life. Because I saw what it meant to him. The spirit of that, of, of the commitment that he had had, of being in the, the Second World War, of going and doing a lot of things and training and teaching and skiing and all kinds of things. And it mattered deeply to him. And just like God could actually reclaim this pathetic duct tape wrap torch, <laughs> I hope for you, that you will allow Him to walk you through the process out of your pain back to a place of value, joy, rebuilding, hope, love, faith, courage, all of the things that He has built into us. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank You so much for the story of Peter. Thank You for rocking his world. He thought he was all that and a whole box of chips, and he was not. And his pride got to him and everything else. And you gave him an opportunity to become one of the greatest and yet humblest servants that you had. Thank you for not just using him as a broken vessel, but changing him, growing him, maturing him. And God, do that in the hearts of all those who are here today, who are feeling pain, who are trapped who are caught in this sinkhole of pain, betrayal, discouragement. And if anyone is here, Lord, and they have never, they're a never ever, they have never engaged in faith, in trusting you, in entering into that process, which is actually what discipleship is. Just coming into the process of becoming something awesome. I pray that you would move in their heart. And if there is anyone here right now, who hasn't done that, I pray that you would... Uh, I, I, I'm asking God to give you the strength and courage to choose faith. It's as simple as saying to God, I choose to follow Jesus. I will take Jesus at His word and follow Him. If you would like to do that, if you have done that today, come find me, find Tom, find Mick. Anybody up at the sound booth, one of the elders here, and we would love to walk through with you what the next step would be. And God, bless all that we've done and said today. Accept it as a gift to you because you are worthy of our praise and worship. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.